everybody, Chris Havery with you on Chargers Weekly. A bit later, part one of a Chargers.com roundtable recapping an eventful offseason. But first, the MMQB's Jenny Varentis joins the podcast. Jenny wrote the story about Anthony Lynn's graduation weekend and his journey towards getting that degree. It was a great conversation about a memorable milestone for the head coach. And as promised, Jenny Vrentis of the MMQB joins me on Chargers Weekly. Let me start by encouraging listeners of the podcast to hit pause, read Jenny's story first on the MMQB about Coach Lynn's graduation, if you haven't already, then come back to us. I think it's important to read the story first. Uh, Jenny, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, What intrigued you about this story before going into it? I think just the fact that, you know, Anthony Lynn made time to do this while having a full-time head coaching job, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable to me. You know, he, he had waited until, you know, he was going to get a head coaching job, he said, or, you know, let me, let me find the right time to do this. And finally he said, you know what, I'm just going to do it now. And it happened the year he went back to school to finish his college degree happened to be the year he took his, he got his first head coaching job in the NFL, but he found a way to make it work. And I think there's a lot of people out there who maybe haven't finished their degrees, uh, who have busy schedules and a lot of things going on. And, you know, the university president said to him the day of graduation, you know, if you can do this, anyone can. Um, and I think, you know, in a way, his, his time management skills are probably um, better than most being a head coach in the NFL. So maybe that's not entirely true. But I just think the example that it sets for other players, for um, other people who just haven't finished their degree, I think it says, says a lot. Can you just dive into how hard that is? Because the life of an NFL coach is grueling. I, I used to work for the Redskins, and I remember stories of Joe Gibbs sleeping in his office back in the 80s and hearing the trash trucks at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. during the season. And in the off season, you have very little free time. But it sounds like Coach Lynn, he started this uh, journey to, to finish and, and get his degree while being coach of the Chargers. It sounds like he did master the art of time management. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great point, right? Because during the season, you know, there's tunnel vision on football. There's there's not much time to do anything else. Um and even the off season, you know, you have the draft, free agency, combine. So it's, you know, it's a crazy schedule that's really hard to understand from the outside. But I think what he did so well was that he just picked pockets of time um, and maximized them. So, you know, in the off season, he'd work until 8 p.m. at his office and then he would go home and study for the next few hours. And during the off season, you know, on weekends, Saturday and Sunday, he'd sit down at Starbucks, you know, he spent so many hours at Starbucks that he had to switch his drink from a latte to a cappuccino because there were less calories and he was consuming so many of those, you know, and then there's that five week break after mini camp in June before training camp. Um, he used that time to, you know, not only take classes, but to work ahead on classes that would be offered in the fall, you know, online curriculum offers some flexibility, you know, independent study, you know, there are ways to work around it, but basically he, he devoted all of his free time essentially over the last year to finishing his degree. That's, that's what, that's the only way he was going to get it done. So he really didn't have a social life for the last year. Well, you know, Jenny, it's a story with so many different lessons and layers to it. I think on the football side, you wrote about coach Lynn's three rules, right? Protect the team, no excuses and be on time. If you could take us back to that 2014 conversation that he had with Dave Zott at the Jets when coach realized that he needed to actually follow his second rule. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because he was sitting in the office of Dave Zott, who was the Jets director of player development. And, you know, in that role, Dave Zott works with a lot of players who are considering, you know, going back to school or what they might do after the game. And Dave Zott's wife, Andrea, was there and they were talking about how, you know, Zott was an offensive lineman in the NFL. He'd gone back to finish his degree at Penn State 11 years later. And, and his wife said to, to Lynn, you know, you just got to get this done, no excuses. And I think that really resonated with him because here he is telling his players, you know, no excuses. And he felt like he was making excuses. Um, and so that's when he's sort of got the ball rolling. Um, but then, you know, the next couple off seasons, he was interviewing for head coaching jobs, you know, after the 2014 season, after the 2015 season. So finally he said, you know what, I'm not going to just go through another hiring cycle, wait to see if I get a job or not. I'm just going to commit to it. And so he committed and he said, you know, 2017, I'm going to enroll. Um, and that's what he did. And the fact that he also got the Chargers job that year um, did not deter him. You know, the timing of all of this was very unique because graduation coincided with rookie minicamp. And many of the guys who were in that minicamp had just graduated themselves if you could expound on that discussion that the team had about Coach Lynn missing those last two days and really the message it sent to the players, because it sounded like Coach Lynn wanted to maybe move up that camp to be there, but I think a larger lesson was there for those guys. Yeah, you know, because he didn't want to miss any time. Some teams have their rookie mini camp the first week right after the draft. That was a possibility. He sort of raised that. Um, and in conversations with, you know, team owner Dean Spanos and GM Tom Telesco, they were, they said, you know what, keep it as is. Then you can tell the players why you're missing and it sends a stronger message. I mean, Tom Telesco said, you know, they've always kind of encouraged um, players to walk in graduation, going back to when he was with the Colts, he said, Tony Dungy always did that. But it's one thing to encourage your players to either go back to school or walk in their graduations. It's another thing when you have your head coach actually doing it. Yeah. So, after the first practice of uh, rookie mini camp on Friday, he said to them, I have unfinished business. I'm, I'm not going to be here, you know, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I'm, you know, I, I left Texas tech six credits short. Um, when I looked into it a few years later, my degree plan had changed. It was 18 credits. Basically don't be like me age 49 and going back to school. He told them just get it done now. And, you know, Derwin James, the first round pick, he uh, came out early from Florida state. So he said he has 12 credits left. And so the message after practice resonated with him, you know, just get those 12 credits done. There's time in the off season, the off season rules under the CBA have sort of allowed for extra time for players to do things in the off season. Certainly the greater flexibility with online classes than Lynn had in the early nineties when that was not an option. So there's just more options now. And basically he's telling players, take those options. You know, this is a big deal, you know, obviously on the football side, but uh, from a family perspective, Coach Lynn made this promise to his late sister and his mother to graduate. And I, I just know if you, if you could describe the joy among his family last weekend in Vegas, whether it was on FaceTime with his son or, or Mother's Day brunch. I know it was his mom's first time in Vegas. It had to have been a special weekend for the family. You know, it was really, it was neat to see his mother said, you know, it's rare that she gets to spend Mother's Day with him because it's always during the season. <laughs> exactly. You know, usually it's right around rookie mini camp. So to just, number one, be able to spend Mother's Day uh, with her son and then also to have him be walking in graduation. Um, I think, you know, there were a, 
a lot of different reasons that motivated him to walk across the stage. That was not on his mind. You know, he just kind of wanted to finish the diploma. He did not think about walking. You know, uh, UNLV, his advisor, kind of mentioned to him that, you know, it can make an impact. And I think also just having that weekend with his family was a big motivating reason. You know, there were seven family members in town. Um, and it's interesting because beforehand I asked him if he thought his mother would cry. And, um, you know, she's a tough woman. You know, she raised two kids. Uh, as a single mom, she worked two jobs. He he didn't really think she would cry, and <laughs> I, I actually I don't think he I don't think he knew. So she during the brunch, she kind of went to the side and and she talked to me and also um, the Chargers website, and she got choked up then, and she was thinking about what that day meant and um, the journey to that point, and that's when she started getting choked up. Um, you know, thinking about fact that he had worked a construction job at age 13 to support the family, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that, you know, his sister, um, who died in a car accident in 2000, before she died, they had kind of, they were very close. They were both living in Colorado. Her husband was working for uh, Lynn's construction company that he had on the side while he was playing for the Broncos. And they had made promises to each other. And she was really nagging on him to just finish his degree. And he told her, I'll go back and finish. And, you know, if anything were to ever happen to you, I'll, I'll take care of the two kids. And so here he was on graduation day. And then her daughter um, was also in Vegas for the graduation to take, you know, to, to be there to support him. So, you know, it was just a lot of, it was a, it was a nice scene because, you know, like we talked about earlier, the schedule of football coach is crazy and it doesn't always allow for moments like that. No, and not I at think all. the fact that, you know, yeah, the fact that, that, you know, he decided to walk and got that moment with his family, I think was really, really neat to see. You know, one of the things that Coach Lynn mentioned in this piece that really resonated was the importance for players to pursue other passions in their free time, which is very different from that that singular mindset of all football all the time that, you know, I think a lot of people in the league feel like is necessary for optimal success. How important do you think that is for, for more players and really teams to adopt. I, I think the quote that, that Coach Lynn's had was, what I realized was the better I did off the field, the better I did on the field. Absolutely. I thought that that was one of the strongest statements that a head coach can make because the truth is it's a little bit counterculture, right? There's been more emphasis than ever on you know players transitioning out of the game and you know, there's more programs like that in place, but yet the NFL is still a very old school league. And I think in a lot of ways, players are encouraged to have a singular focus because their jobs are on the line. And if you do things outside of football, you know, it, you know, in some cases viewed as a distraction or your focus is not entirely on this one thing. So I think the fact that an NFL coach, A, went back to finish his degree while, you know, devoting every possible second that he needed to, to his team in his free time, he went to get, devote his, you know, to finish his degree. I think that's powerful. And the fact that he made the statement, you know, saying he wants guys to have other interests outside of football, because when their careers end, if they don't have an identity that's tied to something other than football, they're going to struggle. And his own experience was really interesting. You know, in the nineties, he had back-to-back -back seasons that ended with injuries. He was sort of forced to confront the reality of not playing the game anymore. He ended up playing for more years, which included two Super Bowls. But during that time, because of that realization, because of confronting that possibility, he started a business, construction business on the side, in which he was actually making more money. And I think the fact that he said 
you know, because everything wasn't riding on every single play, it freed him up. He enjoyed the game more and he performed better. And I think that's a really important idea to say, you know what, if a player has interest off the field, that is not a negative. And it's actually a positive in a lot of levels, including his performance for the team. And you see some of the players really taking that to heart. I mean, Hunter Henry's taking classes this offseason. Austin Eckler recently graduated. And I think you mentioned at the beginning of OTAs, didn't Coach have players write down their passions and just kind of put pen to paper to say, hey, if, if these are things that you want to pursue, you should do it in your free time. Yeah, it's a really interesting way to begin the off-season program, right? So, A, he told them that he was going to get his degree and graduate later that year. And B, he said to them, think of three things that you would do for free. And, you know, maybe it doesn't work for you, but this is what works for me. You know, it's likely that your passion lies in there somewhere if you think of those three things. And so he encouraged them you know, there's only, you know, the phase A of the off-season program, he only has them for what, like, I don't know, a handful of hours, phase B of the off-season program, same thing. So maybe have an internship or or job shadow, or maybe this is when you take your online classes. And it wasn't saying, you know, he said to them in the fall, listen, you're, you're going to be locked into football. That's going to be your focus. So in the off-season, start to explore these other things and start to create that identity outside of football. Jenny, the story is unbelievable. Um, You do great work you know, 365 days a year, but this, this especially hit home here in Costa Mesa, uh, here in Coach Lynn's story of graduation. I, I want to shift gears, just a, a couple of questions about the AFC and the AFC West this off season. Just want to get your overall thoughts of what you think this division is going to be after everything that's happened. There's been so much change, Jenny, over the last three or four months. You know, it really has. It's one of the more interesting divisions, I think, um, and, and particularly this year, right? You have John Gruden coming to the Raiders. You know, Alex Smith is traded. They're moving on to the Patrick Mahomes era. Um, and so I just think, you know, there's a lot of different storylines. And it's, the last few years, it's been, you know, there have been years when it's been one of the stronger divisions. There have been years when, you know, that's not the case. Um, but I think the Chargers are positioned well, right? They have um, a, a quarterback that has a ton of experience that played really well last year. They just narrowly missed the playoffs. Um, so I think that first season kind of set a good groundwork. And I think, you know, the feelings of starting on four and then finishing the year like they did and, and almost making it to the postseason, I feel like that set a good trajectory for the team of like going through that tough period figuring it out, and then it sets a good template, I think, moving into 2018. There's been so many off-season moves in terms of player movement. Uh, what do you think has been the most surprising? I mean, we could go all the way back starting at the Super Bowl when Alex Smith was traded to the Redskins, like came out of thin air, essentially. What has surprised you most about some of the player movement that we've seen this off-season? Well, the the Chiefs are an interesting one, right? I mean, they were confident enough in Patrick Mahomes after one season and and one start in Week 17 to move on from Alex Smith. Um, So I think that in the division, that's a move that makes a lot of impact. And also in the division, I think there's a lot of questions about what the Raiders are going to look like under John Gruden. So you know, what, what is, what is their identity? They've been chasing him for years, right? Mark Davis has wanted him to be the coach, you know, it finally worked out. Um, but he's, you know, been out of the game for a long time. So, you know, is it, is it mostly hype or, or will it have results on the field? And so, you know, 
in the division, I think those are two of the interesting storylines. But then, you know, you have a team like the Chargers, which has a really good roster, which didn't make a ton of splashy moves in the offseason, but made some strong ones. Pouncey is one of them. Um, and I think just kind of supplementing the core of players that they have, you know, they wanted to get a little bit bigger and a little bit faster. I think they've done that. They had a really good draft. So sometimes I think, you know, the teams that don't necessarily make the splashy moves are the more interesting ones. And that's why I think that the Chargers are pretty well positioned this season. Well, you look at the, you know, just the history of some of these teams like the Steelers and the Patriots and, you know, the Packers you don't make a ton of offseason moves because you don't need to. You develop your own guys. And I think this draft specifically, you spend your first four picks on defense, knowing that you have essentially two redshirt guys in, in Mike Williams and Forrest Lamb coming back this year. I think there's just there's more continuity. I, I think continuity has been the theme this offseason. When you look at, we, you know, we talked about the Chiefs. We talked about the, the Raiders. The Broncos, too, Jenny. I mean, this is a team with a lot of new coaches under Vance Joseph and a new quarterback. As we enter 2018, how do you see the pecking order in the AFC West? Because I think last year we went into it thinking that it was hands down the best division of football. Didn't really pan out that way. Right. It didn't pan out that way. Right. Because two years ago, it, it certainly looked like the best division in football. You know, you know, right. I didn't mention the Broncos before, but you're right. I mean, they bring Case Keenum in, they sort of fix the quarterback question that they have there. They get Bradley Chubb at five, which most people did not think he would still be there. So you pair him with Von Miller. Um, they're an interesting team too. What I'd say about the Chargers is I think they have the best quarterback in the division, right? So mm-hmm. to me, that goes a long way. I mean, I, Mahomes is promising, but he's young. You know, Derek Carr, uh, you know, had a good season, and but you know, we're we're still, you know, he's still a younger player too. Um, and you know, Case Keenan's coming off a great year with the with the Vikings, but you know, Philip Rivers is the best quarterback in the division, and so I think, you know, I, I think that that positions them very well. J.D., I woke up this morning with a notification on my phone that there's a new MMQB podcast with you and Judy Batista. I, I just started before we uh, we started our interview. Tell us about that podcast and uh, what it entails and then anything else you're working on this offseason. Yeah, you know, Peter uh, has wanted for a while to do a podcast talking about, you know, what it's like to be a woman covering the NFL. And so that was a section of this week's podcast. Um, and I was, you know, Judy Batista is a great guest. She has so many years of experience covering the NFL. Um, and we talked about sort of what it's like and, and you know, ha- has the number of women in this industry changed over the years? And I think, um, you know, you still look around a lot of locker rooms and you still are aware of the fact that in a lot of places you might be the only woman or you might be one of a few women. It, 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 it's still, you know it still crosses my mind when I walk into a locker room or a press conference. Um, it's different in certain cities, but I mean, I think the one thing we talked about was something that Peter did when he started the MMQB five years ago and he really made a commitment. And remember he told me at the beginning, he said, I wanted to hire a woman and I wanted to hire a person of color. And I remember thinking, okay, you could take that one of two ways. One way you could say like, you don't want to be hired because of that. That's not what Peter was saying. He was saying, he wanted to, once he was in a hiring position, create a staff in which he, he brought in different perspectives that were represented across sports media. And he believed that would make his staff stronger because of it. So I think we talked about um, some of those things. And I think it's a really important subject that I was glad Peter wanted to delve into because um, there's a lot of women coming up in the business. And I feel like it's important to be honest that 
there are some things that are going to be different. It doesn't mean your career path won't be successful, but there are things you'll confront along the way. And I think it's better to be honest about that rather than saying your experience is going to be exactly the same as, as a man with the, you know, at the same age level and entering the same time. Sure. No, it's an important topic and it's a great podcast. I suggest fans check out the MMQB podcast this week. Jenny, you do awesome work at the MMQB. I can't thank you enough for your time. And we talked about it. We had to get you out to Costa Mesa a little more often, get you on the West Coast a little bit more in 2018. I look forward to coming back. So thank you for having me. So the Los Angeles Chargers schedule is out. And boy, it's nice to finally know how we'll be spending our Sundays this fall. How many Charger games did you make last year, Matt? I made 20. Four preseason games and 16 regular season games last year. Which are you circling for this season. This season, I'll circle the Niners and Cardinals as they play the NFC West. And let's not forget about those rivalry games, P. You seriously don't want to miss this. Visit FightForLA.com or call 877-CHARGERS to share Matt's experience. Season tickets on sale now. At the Hoke Performance Center with Chargers.com's finest, Haley Elwood and Ricky Henney join me. And guys, I think this was... 10 weeks ago that we did this right after the combine and a lot has happened since then so we're going to get into everything that's happened I guess we should probably start in chronological order with free agency it was a quiet free agency period but of the additions that the Chargers made what was the most important I guess we'll start with Haley all right thanks thanks for the intro by the way chargers.com's finest oh yeah very nice yeah um I'm gonna have to go with Mike Pouncey He's a guy, you know, he also was one of those guys this team didn't think was going to be initially available when free agency started. He gets released from the Dolphins, and they made a move, and they made a splash, and I think he'll bolster this offensive line, which already did amazing last year. They gave up the fewest sacks in the NFL, so you add him to the mix, he can only help it get better. And what I think is funny about Mike Pouncey is, so when free agency comes, you obviously plan for those guys you know are going to be free agents, but you also plan for guys you think may shake loose from other teams. Yeah. And talking to Tom Telesco, they had, they did not even have Mike Pouncey on that yeah, list. Yeah, he wasn't on the radar. Not at all. So when all of a sudden he's available, they sprung into action and they scooped him up. Like Haley said, that's a big addition. But I'm actually going to go Caleb Sturgis. Now, you don't usually go with a kicker, but Tom In this Telesco, case, it's necessary. 100%. Yeah. Tom Telesco vowed to change and fix this kick situation. So did Anthony Lynn. And you get someone in Caleb Sturgis who got injured week one and was placed on IR. Otherwise, he would have been the main kicker for the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. But the year before, he made over 85% of his kicks, 35 field goals. He's made a 50-yard-plus field goal every year he's been in the league. So I think that's a monumental get. And I think he could really go a long way towards pushing this team over the edge and into the postseason. I think it's a pick 'em, right, with Pouncey and Sturgis, because you, you can look at it from both ways. You solidify the center position really for the first time since probably the Nick Hardwick days where you have a, a perennial all-pro center, right, Ricky? Yeah, because if you look back, since Nick Hardwick retired, there's been a new starting center every single year. Yeah, the running game has to be pumped. Phillip has to be pumped. Um, but let me ask you this, Chris. We're split down the middle. You going with Haley and Mike Pouncey? You going with Ricky and uh, Caleb Sturgis? Uh, it's listen. It's, there's no wrong answer. I'm going to go with Sturgis just because of just because of the kicking game. You know, you, you start 0 and 4 in large part to the kicking game, and there was a lot of critical misses last year that really could have flipped the season. I mean, even to Haley's point, the, the Chargers did allow the fewest amount of sacks in the in the league last year, but at the same time, it doesn't mean Phillip 
wasn't hurried. He was hurried. I think Phillip did a better job of getting rid of the football, and I think Pouncey's going to help the offensive line. If I had to lean one way, I'd say Sturgis, but you know another sneaky signing is Virgil Green. I think Virgil Green is going to help the running game, mm-hmm. and I think he's got a little bit of juice in the pass game too, especially in red zone situations, and he's a, he's a guy that you steal from a rival. He totally is, and I think, like you said, helping in the run game – he does, you know, kind of make his his bread and butters being a blocking tight end too. So you have that, you have that to help bolster. But going back to Pouncey for one second, what's the most important relationship on an offense? And I'd say quarterback center. And to Ricky's yep. point, having that guy who's a you know a stud up there, a Pro Bowler, Philip has to be stoked about that because now they can build that relationship, get that going. And that only strengthens the offensive line. And Phillip's not the only one who's pumped because Melvin Gordon, when he was talking to the media the other day, he just, I mean, he saw his eyes light up. He yeah. said as soon as Mike Pouncey became available, he called him up. He was recruiting him, and he is pumped to have him on this team. And you look at Melvin Gordon's made strides each and every year. When he sees Mike Pouncey under center, you know he's just eyeing to get another 1,000-yard season. Melvin talked about that nastiness that, mm-hmm. that Pouncey provides. It's just going to make the running game that much better, especially when you see how Melvin finished the year and what they want to do offensively, uh, have that identity running the football, Pouncey's hand and glove fit. Totally. Most important in-house signing. There was a few of them. And again, I don't think there's a wrong answer to this, but Haley, let's kick it off. I'm going to go with Casey Hayward, who wasn't a free agent this year, but they took care of him. You know, and I think it's huge because he's now here for the long term. And to have a guy, you know, two straight Pro Bowls, Two straight second year or second team all pro seasons. I mean, I don't want to call him the heart and soul of that defense, but he bring he's the heart and soul of that secondary for sure. And yep. he's a guy who younger guys like Derwin James already has a relationship with, can rally around. But to know that he's here long term, even though Phillip doesn't play on his side of the ball again, he probably has to be happy that a guy like that is locked up because he's a charger now. And it's, it's kind of that Tom Telesco philosophy of taking care of your own and getting that done now so that they don't have to worry about it next year. Yeah, it's not going to win headlines, right? But, you, but taking care of your own is so important. And Casey came in here, and I think he, he would joke, like as a, as a nickel corner, right? And he's become a perennial shutdown corner in this league. And to that point about Casey, I remember in training camp where he was talking about how the trash talk between him and Phillip, just making each other better in training camp. Uh, Casey means so much to the defense. Oh, 100%. And like you mentioned, when he was a, a free agent coming over from Green Bay, you're talking somebody who lasted on the market for a week. And his first two years here, like Haley had mentioned, Pro Bowls, All Pros, led the league in interceptions over uh, his first year and has the most interceptions in the league over the past two seasons. But as far as I think is was the most impactful uh, taken care of in-house it's two people and neither of them are going to play a single snap and that's Ken Wisenhunt and Gus Bradley because you look at that's what point. they were able to do with their respective units last year it's incredible and um, they were such a huge part of this team's success the players love playing for them all the questions the first two or three weeks this offseason were what's going to happen with Wiz and Gus Bradley where are they going to go they were coveted and the Chargers made sure they did what was necessary to keep them here and these players were pumped to have them here they were going off just they did not want to lose either of those two coordinators and fortunately they didn't Haley when you look at the end of a season with playoffs oftentimes talented teams get picked apart with coaching staffs and and key free agents one of the themes here was continuity we've Mm -hmm. talked about it pretty much every single week 
having Gus, having Ken Wisenhunt, and really a core of this team in place, you didn't have to do a lot of splashy things. You didn't. And I think, and we'll we'll get to this probably later on, but I think one of the biggest storylines for me with this team is building on last season. You get to nine and seven, but now you're right. You keep the consistency of the coordinators and the head coach, and also not to mention now the second year in Los Angeles, which has to feel a lot better for these guys. Yes. And you build on that. And I think this team can really only go up from here. On paper, they look great. You have to put it together on the field come Sundays, but that continuity of keeping that nucleus together is huge. I also want to mention the position coaches because they don't get a lot of praise, but guys like Giff Smith, they brought him back on the defensive yep. line. Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram took off under him. Ron Milas, who's had Miles. a... Oh, he's awesome. He had a pro bowler in that secondary. I think every year he's been here. And then offensive on the offensive side of the ball, you look at um, Shane Steichen, the quarterback's coach, who's Philip, you know, had his fewest interceptions in quite a while last year with only 10. So all, like I mentioned, Gus and I mentioned Wiz, and they get a lot of the, the headlines. You can't – has to go that these other um, position coaches, taking care of them too was a huge step. A couple other guys just to mention um, – I think Adrian Phillips, bringing him back and what he meant to the defense last year, especially when you have a guy like Darwin James coming in to learn from. Uh, Kaiser White, too, to an extent, playing kind of that hybrid role of linebacker safety. And Michael Schofield, because of his position versatility, and, and I think that kind of goes into my next question about Pouncey and his impact on the offensive line, the Chargers have made a concerted effort to, you know, we know Force Lamp's coming back, uh, to get – an all-pro center like Mike Pouncey, but also have interchangeable parts across the line like a Michael Schofield to help. We don't know what force is going to be like at the beginning of camp and the beginning of the regular season, but I, th- I think there's enough pieces in place to really solidify that O-line. Absolutely, and Pouncey coming in brings last year's starter Spencer Pulley as one of those key reserves who can now go to guard. He started 16 games last year. Absolutely, or go to center. Um, but what I like about this offensive line is um, a year ago they brought in a veteran a pro bowler in Russell Kuhn, who made the Pro Bowl again. This year they're bringing Mike Pouncey. So you have these veterans, established veterans, elite players at their position who are also there to mentor the young guys like Dan Feeney and, and, and Forrest Lamb. So I think that's a huge piece when you talk about continuity and building towards the future to have both of those types of, of players in the mix. And I think in speaking of Schofield, when he stepped in last year, he didn't, you know, they didn't miss a beat. No, they didn't. Beat. So he proved, as you said, to be a serviceable reserve guy. And I think he was kind of a low-key, sneaky signing that, that was good that this team retained. Yep. And another guy from an AFC West rival. You know, he yeah. was in Denver with, with Russell Okun. Absolutely. And when you mentioned Virgil Green earlier, the first thing I thought of is no one knows um, a player better than the team that faces them twice. So the fact that the Chargers went out and made sure they got Virgil Green the first day of free agency shows just what they thought of him, having gone up against him, geez, 16 times in the yeah, last few years. They so, knew about uh, him. Exactly. Guys, let's move on to the schedule because I think there was a lot of thoughts by players, coaches, pundits alike. We'll start with Haley. Your initial thoughts upon seeing the Chargers' 2018 schedule was what? I think the one thing that stood out to me is this weird four-game road stretch that happens basically in the middle of the season. Well, it's two games, then a bye, then two more games on the road. But it's, you know, and one of those games is obviously in London. So this team doesn't play. They play a home game on October 4th. I'm sorry, on October 7th. And then they're not back at home until November 18th. So that's a long stretch where they just have to get used to just, you know, grinding on the road. And I think that'll be a very good mental test for them. And not to mention, those aren't, you know, the Browns are in there, but 
they're a new look team yeah. this year and you have the Raiders you don't know a whole lot about them and then obviously at Seattle we know what they're capable of they've obviously had some changes but it's, it's not, not easy playing the Seattle. easiest schedule no. no and not up there either it's funny you mentioned that because obviously we always talk to Philip Rivers right when the schedule comes out and he gets it down pat in like five minutes he can tell you every single thing this team is doing and that's the first thing that stuck out to him as well because it's just it's abnormal that you, middle stretch yes you yeah. don't go away from home for that many um weeks in a row but what he said is the attitude the team has to take is we can't do anything about it so let's use this as a way to all come together and yeah. move forward um so i think that's that is something that definitely stuck out but the other thing is because you're away from home during that stretch they are in la for a long time before that um the only time that this team gets on a plane is week two against the bills their other home game their other sorry their other away game before that is against the rams which is in la week so three. they have to defend home turf and they have to get off to a good start when, when we talk about this team last year the slow start the 0 and 4 start you can't afford that when you have four of your first five games in los angeles it's so important to get off to a fast start uh, one of the things i noticed i think the players noticed there was no primetime games mm-hmm. uh, when i talked to matt money Smith about this shortly after the schedule came out his point was basically you want a primetime game make your own luck at the end of the year earn it maybe that Steeler game gets flexed maybe one of these games at the end gets flexed but does it really matter I don't think it really matters Uh, it doesn't matter but the players down there take it as a sign of respect and I love that sure and and like he said you want to go out and earn that you want to prove you disrespected us we were one of the hottest teams down the stretch last year finished with a winning record and you don't give us a primetime game yeah, and it does motivate you, but you you call my shot. I was gonna say book it, Steelers, Chargers. That's gonna be Sunday Night Football. Just, yeah. un- unless CBS protects it, I'm telling you that's gonna be a prime time game. So that's the game you're most looking forward to. Write it down, man. Right, put it put it, it in, in pen. Haley, what about you? That was the game I was gonna say too. I think you have storylines. You know, obviously Philip and and Big Ben there. Uh, it could be a flex game into prime time, and also it could have massive AFC playoff implications, seating implications 100%. at that point. You're in that first week of December. You have five weeks left of the season at that point these two teams could both be in it could both be out of it hopefully not but a lot could you know be dependent on what happens in that game and so much happens before you get to December but it's impossible not to look at those five games and think it very well could come down to this because these teams okay you're on the road at at Pittsburgh home against Cincinnati Thursday night four days later at KC then it's a flex game a Saturday or Sunday at home uh, versus the Ravens, and then you finish on the road against Denver. Now, those five teams, the last decade, it seems, have been in the thick of it towards the end. Sure. And they are tough places to play, three cold-weather games. Now, look, you have to take care of business early on, but it you, you always have it in the back of your mind that those five games, it's, it's going to be a tough, a tough road ahead, but you also could control your future, and you control your destiny. You know, a couple other notes uh, Philip versus Big Ben, that class of 2004. It could be the last time we see those guys face off, based on how the schedule right. shakes out over the next right. couple of years. We don't know, right. but that could that could be a, a possibility that that's the last time we see those guys. The Pouncy Bros going head to head. Pouncy Bowl. It's only the second time. This is the brother game. This you is the brother game. Pouncy Bros. You have the Watts. The Watts. Brothers. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of a, brother action. AB happening. versus Casey Hayward. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of juice to this game. Jaleel and AB. Yeah. I mean, that's. There's a lot of storylines. A lot of storylines. The game, NBC. the game for me, <laughs> the game for me is Week 15 because it's almost like deja vu. It's it's the Chiefs a couple weeks before the season ends in Arrowhead at night. 
it's an opportunity for this team. If we ex- we expect them to be in a position to win the AFC West or at least get a playoff spot towards the end of the year, this is a game that I think they're going to remember from last year. There's a, there's a different cast of characters in Kansas City starting with Patrick Mahomes. It, you know, it's funny you say that because the Chiefs game is the number one game that stuck out to me, but week one, not week 15. Not week 15. Be- well, look, week 15 very well could could have major implications, but... It's me trying to be, I think, psychic and, and I, expecting, I like it. expecting high drama late in the year. Uh, and, hey, I hope you're right, but you have to... Look, that could be a statement game week one. Win or lose, it, look, it's one of 16, but the Chiefs have had the Chargers number. They've won... Yeah. They've swept the last four years. That's eight straight games. They've won like 17 of 18 AFC West games too, I think. Yeah, but they've had the Chargers number. But like you mentioned, it's a new quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Very uh, different pieces in the secondary. Marcus Peters, like... He's been awesome against the Chargers. He he's picked off Phillips so many times. He's not there anymore. Yeah. So no we'll one still see him. Happy him <laughs> Just not <laughs> twice. But I'm happier to have him not on the Chiefs. So sure. honestly, that Week One game is going to be huge. But like you mentioned, I actually like having the Chiefs early and late because you don't. I don't like playing teams back to back or so close together because those two games are so huge. So. Look, hopefully every single one of these games matter, but I think those two games against the Chiefs, the one I mentioned, the one you mentioned, I think you have to put a star next to those. I think that's a statement game, that Week 15 game for sure. And part of it for me is teams that you see in Week 1 may not be the same team you see in Week 15. No, especially with sides. especially with a quarterback who right. is only one career start in the league. Like, right. I think it's more advantageous for the Chargers to see Patrick Mahomes in Week 1 yes. as opposed to Week like. Five or six once they get rolling on offense, but you're right. Week one, week fifteen. There's a lot of football in between. Uh, seeing the Chiefs twice and talking about Mahomes. Another weird thing about the schedule are the number of like first year quarterbacks the Chargers will face. It's another good point. Yeah, Mahomes week one, week two it could be Josh Allen. Yeah. You know, week um, six Baker Mayfield with, with the Browns. Then you play. Um, you know, the, the Broncos have Case Keenum. It's his first year there. And then the Cardinals with Josh Rosen's Rosen. over there. And then Baltimore. You, Baltimore. The week could 16, be the Lamar Jackson show Lamar, in December. Exactly. The Lamar Jackson show. So you never know what you're going to get with the first-year quarterback. And it's something the Chargers may have to deal with over and over again. That, and I think the, the Chargers have a little bit of an advantage at the beginning of the year when you talk about the quarterback position, right? You got Mahomes versus Phillip, who hasn't missed a start since 06. If it's not Josh Allen, it's A.J. McCarron mm-hmm. or Nathan Peterman. And we know what happened last year with Nathan Peterman. <laughs> The Rams, Jared Goff, I mean, this is a guy who's still in his third year, still learning. And then Jimmy G, for all the success he had at the end of the last year, he still only has a handful of starts under his belt. Yeah. I mean, he is he's 5-0, and but I think a lot of, you know, still unproven with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think this year will be a huge year for him. And that'll be, that actually will be a pretty fun game, that four game. Yeah, well, absolutely. But you look at this first four games, you have three playoff teams and you have the team that finished the year the hottest in Jimmy G and the, and the Niners. So that's going to be a really tough uh, first month, but hopefully it sets a tone for the rest of the year. We'll pick up part two of our offseason roundtable next week where we dive into the draft, OTAs, and minicamp. My thanks to Jenny Vrentis as well as Ricky and Haley for joining me. And thanks to you all for listening. Find us on Apple Podcasts, and while you're there, please leave a review. Help spread the word. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.